Friends, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. Today we are concluding this section of this letter, uh, which has focused on how we are a called church in a selfish world. Chapters 8 to 10 have, have given us direction on how to think about our liberties in Christ, but, but also, and, and more importantly, according to Paul, how to be loving and selfless towards others. Friend, if you are looking for direction on how to live your life with, with purpose and with clarity, this section of 1 Corinthians is for you. And I'm very excited to consider Paul's conclusion to this section together this morning, even as we celebrate four years of God's faithfulness together. So let's begin now by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, down to chapter 11, verse 1. It says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word here this morning. Today we are celebrating our four-year anniversary, and it is hard to believe how fast time has flown by. I have a few pictures for us. It feels like yesterday that we were praying and thinking about all of this together and wondering what God might do through a new church plan in the Newark, Delaware area. It feels like just yesterday that we started that, that small group, that small fellowship group in the SoCash home with the Johnsons and the SoCashes and the Lauxes and Flossie Calhoun. It feels like just yesterday that we were praying for a place to meet and then God provided this school for us. And then we started preparing for launch Sunday with those 27 members and a whole slew of kids. It feels like just yesterday that we had our first Explore class with the Batistas and the Kilchensteins and MJ and Caleb and Rachel Birch and the Canfields and Becky and Colleen and Bernie and Deb Lemke and Rodrigo. Time flies. Life is going by fast. Personally, I'm getting ready to turn 40 years old this January. That's crazy to me. My my daughter, Allison, has just entered her senior year of high school, which, get this, that means that the students graduating from high school this spring were born in 2005. That's craziness. 
Or maybe you're a college senior and it feels like just yesterday that you were beginning your freshman year. Maybe you're a young parent and your newborn baby is now running around causing chaos in their home and you're wondering where those, those easy months went. Maybe you just celebrated 10 years at your company and you still feel like you're the new person on site. Did you guys know that Facebook is 18 years old? Or that the first Toy Story movie came out 27 years ago? Or that the first Harry Potter book was was written and published a quarter century ago, 25 years ago? Last week I was signing a paper and I I had the date wrong. I, I wrote 2012 instead of 2022. And I didn't really know what was wrong. I kind of stared at it for a minute, not, making, not sure what I had done. Only a decade's difference between the two. Did you know that the year 2050 is closer to us now than the year 1980? Time is flying by. Before we know it, our church family is going to be celebrating its 10th and 15th and 25th anniversary by God's grace. And listen, as we think about time and how fast it goes by, I do wonder how you feel about that. Does it excite you or does it discourage you? As you think about the time that has gone by, do you have many regrets or are you excited about the time that remains? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. Listen, if if the brevity of life makes you begin to ask big questions about life, that is a very good thing. In fact, those big questions are very biblical questions. James chapter 4, verse 14 says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Psalm 103 says, As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and then the wind passes over it, and it's gone. Its place knows it no more. Psalm 90 says, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. God's word does not encourage us to feel confident about the amount of time that we have in this world, for it honestly says that our days are short. But why? Why does scripture remind us of this so much? Does God want us to have a midlife crisis about these things? Does he want us to be frantic as we try to get the most out of every single day? Or does he want us to become anxious as we see the days flying by? No. God is not interested in making us anxious or frantic. God reminds us of the the brevity of life for a very different reason, to make us wise unto salvation. He reminds us of how short life is so that we don't waste our lives while we have them, so that we don't spend the few short days that we have on this earth prioritizing the wrong things, but rather prioritizing the right things. In a day and age like we live in where people are spending all of their time and energy on things that will not last, it's in the midst of this lack of wisdom that God reminds us of who we are and why we exist. Moses says in Psalm 90, so teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. We're reminded of the brevity of life so that we might live the best life that God has called us to live. And so even as we celebrate our four-year anniversary today, friends, it is good for us to consider together why we exist. What what priorities should we have in life before another four years go by, before we spend all of our energy in the wrong direction? Let's consider who God calls us to be. Why? So that we might spend our lives individually and corporately together well.
And church, even though our text today does not speak specifically about the brevity of life, the passage that we're studying gives laser-sharp focus to why we exist. Paul has been talking about how he spends his life and how the local church is supposed to spend their lives not for themselves, but for others and ultimately for the glory of God. The main idea for our message today is this. Knowing Christ leads us to enjoy our Christian liberty, to love our neighbors, and to glorify God together. Knowing Christ leads us to enjoy our Christian liberty, to love our neighbors, and to glorify God together. And so now, out of that main idea, and as we prepare for another year of life together as a church family, let's consider three points or or three callings upon our lives from this text. Calling number one, Redeemer Fellowship, let's enjoy our liberty. Calling number two, Redeemer Fellowship, let's love our neighbor. And calling number three, Redeemer Fellowship, let's glorify our God together. Let's begin with the first point. Number one, let's enjoy our liberty. I do wonder what your view of Christianity is. Do you believe that Christianity is is overly restrictive and, and rigid? Do you view the church as something that enslaves people and puts them in bondage? Some people believe that Christianity is like a straitjacket and we would just all be better humans, happier humans, if we were just allowed to be free from it all. But in order to consider whether that's true or not, I suppose we need to define what freedom or what liberty is. If you view freedom as the absence of any restriction in life, well then, yes, you may view Christianity as something that steals your freedom with some of its rules and restrictions. But is freedom truly just the absence of restrictions and rules? Or is freedom something very, very different? Does freedom come just by the absence of all rules or does freedom mean the opportunity to live the fullest and the richest and the most meaningful life available to us, even if that means adding certain rules and restrictions? Friends, think about it this way. If you found a magic genie bottle later this afternoon and you rubbed the bottle and the genie popped out and offered you your three wishes, and if you chose to make all of those three wishes about freedom from all restrictions, Jeannie, I wish to be free from my parents. Jeannie, I wish to be free from ever having to be dependent on other people again. Jeannie, I wish to be free to always do what I want and never have to serve anyone else again. Do you think that if the genie granted those three wishes, that you would get to the end of your short life and say that you had lived the richest and fullest life possible? Or do you think that you would have missed out on true freedom? Friends, Paul seems to think that if those wishes were granted, you would miss out on true freedom. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Paul Paul is correcting the Corinthians because the Corinthian church is flaunting their freedom in Christ. But it's very important to notice here that Paul does not counter or come against the idea of freedom itself. The Corinthians are saying, all things are lawful in Christ. We are free in Jesus. We have liberty because of the gospel. And so leave us alone. And Paul does not say, no, you're not free. Stop lying to yourselves. You're still in bondage. No, Paul is all about freedom and liberty in Christ. From from this text and in the text that we have already studied, we see how much Paul loves freedom. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, he begins in verse 1 by saying, am I not free? And then he spends the whole chapter talking about how he is free from the obligations that other people put upon him. Verse 25 in our text, he says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. We're not under the old law. We're, we're free to eat. Verse 26, he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, thereby enjoy God's creation as a free gift from God. Verse 27, he says, if a non-Christian invites you over to dinner, eat whatever is put before you. Paul talks about his own liberty in verse 29. In verse 31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I love the fact that in this passage, there are three times that he uses that word, whatever. That's, that's a big word. That's a freeing word. But Paul's not obsessed with restrictions and rules. He loves freedom. And friends, this is God's word to us. God loves freedom for us. We are free in the gospel. Paul celebrates our freedom and our liberty in Christ so much because, listen, he knows that true freedom only comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the liberty that is found in the gospel is the only way to be free from all other forms of bondage in this life. Did, did you know that we all love the idea of freedom and that we all want it and are pursuing it in different ways? We're all constantly in the pursuit of, of freedom wherever we can find it. But we all pursue it in different ways. The problem is that as we look to human wisdom for our freedom, we actually always remain in bondage. Some of us love rules. And we pride ourselves on following those rules and assume that they will grant us the, the beautiful and peaceful and free life that we are hoping for. That's me. I'm a rule follower. Some of us hate rules and pride ourselves on being free from them and doing whatever we want to do in the hopes of ending our short life by being able to say that we did not miss out on anything. We experienced it all. So some of us are like the new college freshman who is finally out from under their parents' authority and they're able to do whatever they want to do. Let's call this freshman freedom. This freshman freedom is what many of us lives for. And so we are all about living our best lives now, being adventurous, breaking the rules, not doing what anybody tells us to do, pushing the boundaries. We're like the younger son in the story of the prodigal that Jesus told. We take our father's inheritance and we squander it through doing every new and exciting thing that comes our way. But the thing is that though that feels like freedom for a little while, it's actually bondage. Though we feel like we're doing whatever we want to do and that we're being fuller humans, more satisfied humans, inevitably we end up like the prodigal son, burned out, hurt, and broken in our sin. What, what seemed like freedom and to be leading us towards satisfaction and even salvation is actually bondage. And so... And so many of us try to save ourselves by going in the opposite direction. And this is where empty religiosity comes in. The freshman freedom wears off. And when it does, we tend to think that the opposite of freshman freedom is where we can find true happiness and freedom. And so we become serious seniors. We, we take everything seriously. And we think that the success of life is all about following the rules and living a, a clean and orderly and responsible life. We, we feel better about ourselves because we're not living crazy, chaotic lives like those freedom freshman people over there. Our lives seem so much more responsible. 
But listen, there's no more freedom in this than in the other. It's just another form of bondage because none of us are strong enough to follow all of the rules in the world, all of the rules in the church, or even all of the rules that we make for ourselves. We're too weak, and so we're going to get to the end of our short lives and not be able or any better off than the freedom freshman because the bondage of our rules and our clean and orderly and responsible life was not enough to solve our biggest problem. The serious senior, with all of their good works, might look more mature than the freshman freedom, even within a church context in particular. They might seem more godly. They might seem closer to God because they're not living a reckless life. Everything seems good. They read their Bibles. They go to church. They serve faithfully. But listen, if the serious senior is trying to find freedom or trying to earn God's favor or trying to find their salvation through their own performance, they are no closer to true salvation than the freedom freshman. Both are very far from God. Why? Because both are looking to themselves for their salvation. Both are ignoring the free and freeing gift of God's grace, which comes to them despite their self-attempts at salvation. And both are going to end their short lives disappointed and very far from God. And church, this is why Paul is all about our liberty in Jesus because he knows that no amount of rule following or rule shirking will earn us God's favor. Paul himself was the ultimate serious senior. He followed all the rules. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an intensely religious person, but yet he still found himself to be the chief of sinners and desperately in need of God's grace. He couldn't polish himself up enough. Church, listen, we all need freedom, and we all need it even from ourselves. Our freedom needs to come from outside of us. And this is why Paul does not tell the Corinthians that they're not free. This is why he has been celebrating our freedom. Because freedom in Christ is everything to those of us who are in bondage. And that's every single one of us. This is why he celebrates freedom in the gospel. Because he knows that our salvation is not dependent on the existence of rules or on the absence of rules. No, our freedom, our liberty is determined by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that despite ourselves, Jesus came and offered himself as our substitute. A substitute for the older brother and the younger brother. Paying the penalty that we should have paid. Allowing us to be forgiven by the Father and fully restored to him. Church, listen, may we never never stop enjoying our liberty in Jesus. May we never move beyond the gospel of grace and mercy that we celebrate. By God's grace, may we look to our fifth year and may we joyfully celebrate this great grace and this great news week after week after week after week. May we never stop. The fact that God has saved both the older brothers among us and the younger brothers among us. May we celebrate the gospel, not because... It doesn't have any rules or guidelines for our lives, but because the gospel has given us the opportunity to be free from our own wisdom and to enjoy the wisdom of God towards us in Christ. Let us enjoy our liberty and let us live out our liberty as God intends. And that brings us to our second point this morning. Point number two, Redeemer Fellowship, let's love our neighbor. Listen, any conversation about true freedom needs to begin with God. 
if you are looking for a full definition of what freedom and liberty truly are, we, we need to consider the one who is truly free and who has ultimate liberty. We need to consider God himself. The God who has always existed without being dependent upon anyone or anything. The, the God who exists in, in perfect aseity. Do you know what that word aseity means? It's a bit of a fancy theological word. It means existing in and of yourself. It refers to how God does not depend on any cause other than himself for his existence. Friends, the God that we worship this morning is fully free. He has ultimate liberty. And so so we might be tempted as humans to think that if we are going to become truly happy and truly free, then we need to become and experience freedom like God has freedom, that we need to become fully independent. That is not how we find true freedom. First of all, because none of us can be truly independent. We are creatures. We are not God. Pursuing freedom like God has freedom, it just makes no sense for those who are made by another. But listen, we can pursue a derived freedom. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. God does indeed want us to be free, but but in order to understand what this means for us, we, we have to consider the freedom of God and how he lives out his freedom himself. Listen, if God in his wisdom refused to do anything for anyone else, then we might think that a true experience of freedom is freedom from all care or burden for other people. But that is not what we see when we look at God and his freedom, is it? No, we see that the God who is perfectly free within himself, perfectly happy within himself, needing nothing from anything but himself, his freedom is exercised, it is expressed towards other people. The God who is free said yes to creating this world, even while knowing that in order to save us from our sins, it would require that he put on the restriction of humanity, becoming like us in flesh, living under the rules and the restrictions of the law with us, dying our death for us. Our God, who is ultimately free through the gospel, demonstrates what true freedom is. True freedom is the ability to not live only for yourself, but to live for others. To have to live and to fight for yourself is actually bondage. But true freedom is being so content and so secure in who God is, even as Jesus himself was, that you are able to live outwardly for others. That's what God has done for us. And Gloriously, that's what the gospel now enables us to do. Look at the text with me. Look at verse 24. Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul had said, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes us feel good about ourselves, but love builds up other people. It's outward. Paul's all about our liberty, but but if it is true liberty in Jesus, it will lead not towards puffing ourselves up or finding our own security and peace, but rather the the building up of those around us. Friends, this has really, really practical implications for our lives. Look, Look at what he goes on to say, verse 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner 
and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Paul says that our freedom and our security in Christ and in the gospel can allow us, as he said earlier, to be all things to all people. He's saying, if for the sake of evangelism, you're invited into a non-Christian's home, you can go and not be uptight or preoccupied about how different you are from them. You don't need to be worried about the cultural differences. Don't dishonor their hospitality. Eat whatever is put in front of you. Build relationship with them. Be their friend. Love them by being present with them. But then Paul says in verse 28, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. So Paul says that we should freely spend time with non-Christians and we can be okay with cultural differences, even things that might make us uncomfortable. But if that person says to us something like, hey, thanks for coming into my house today. I'm very glad that you're here. I'm very glad that you're going to be able to participate with me in honoring my false God here. I've prepared a meal for us to share together. Let's eat it together and let's worship this idol. I'm so glad that you've been able to participate with me. Paul says that building up that person in that situation is to not eat. Not because you're not free to eat whatever food is there, because all is free and all is given by God, but because the person who has spoken to you about it clearly has a different understanding of that food than you do. And in order to truly build them up, you should not be an active participant in their false worship. Paul says, verse 29, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Paul says their words do not need to restrict your sense of liberty, under different circumstances, you could eat whatever is on that table and you could eat freely, but because for them it is false worship, we should not partake. Friends, let me, let me use a, a modern example to help us to think through this together today. Let's talk about Halloween, shall we? Easy topic. Let's talk about trick-or-treating. Listen, I'm not using this illustration to make a dogmatic point about Halloween one way or the other. All of us need to prayerfully consider whether we feel freedom in Christ to participate in Halloween or not. So I'm not using this as an illustration to indicate what you should believe about Halloween, but rather to give an illustration of what Paul seems to be saying here. So personally, my family has always enjoyed trick-or-treating together. We prayed a lot about it early on. To, to settle our convictions, but we felt freedom in Christ to enjoy it together. We, we love the fun of dressing up. We love getting to know our neighbors. We love having a stash of sugar that lasts until Christmas. We, we really do enjoy the experience as a family. But listen, we enjoy it because we do not see these things as being inherently tied to demons. We feel freedom before the Lord to enjoy costumes, to enjoy candy, to build friendship with our neighbors. And we think that it's great. Halloween is a wonderful opportunity for those things. So think about it this way. Paul says, if a, if a non-believer invites you to dinner and you are inclined to go, or in this illustration, if a non-believer invites you to trick or treat and you are inclined to go, go and eat without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. Build with your unbelieving neighbor. Go and trick or treat and enjoy that time. But friends, that's not the end of the story for Paul, is it? Now, what if our neighbors thought about Halloween differently than we do? 
What if they didn't view it just as a holiday to enjoy costumes and to grow friendship and to eat good food? What if my neighbor knocked on my door and said, hey, Joel, it's Halloween. Can you believe it? I love this holiday. It's the, it's the time of year that I love to engage with the occult. I love to enter into the spiritual realm, and I love to explore the, the paranormal. The occult and the, the spiritual realm are so good for my soul. Aren't they for you as well? Trick-or-treating is what I do to celebrate this with my, my family. Would you like to join us? If that happened, I would not have the liberty to trick-or-treat with them. Why? Because it would not build them up to engage their false worship. It would be to participate in false spiritualism. And as a Christian who knows the one true God, I should have nothing to do with that, and I should not encourage others to do that either. But... In my opinion, if they, like most people today, simply see trick-or-treating as a a fun and innocent way to make memories together, then I am happy to join with them without raising any question on the grounds of conscience. And again, I'm not making an official statement about trick-or-treating here. I'm using it as an example of what Paul seems to be saying. He is saying that we don't just exercise our liberty however we want, want, without thought. No, we are so free in Christ, church. We're so secure in him that we now have the joyful responsibility and burden to think wisely about how we use our freedom for the sake of others. And there are so many applications for this. See, so much of the Christian life does not have clear and simple answers to our questions. Do this, don't do that. No, so much of the the Christian life is about living with discernment and wisdom and love to know what will build up. This, This informs probably whether you go to that gay wedding or not. And two Christians can decide on different things about that or whether you play certain games or whether you watch certain movies. These things are not always black and white issues. We have to to prayerfully consider whether participation as Christians can be done in a way where our convictions are still clear or whether we are unhelpfully enabling others to participate in false worship. Even how you participate in politics is not a a black or white issue. As, As a Christian, you might feel called by God to engage with politics even while your hope and confidence is in King Jesus, But as a Christian, you need to be wise and discerning and loving enough to know whether how you engage in politics or how you talk about political issues might lead others who have an idol of politics to ignore their need to trust God more and to put all their hope in him and rather lead them towards putting all their hope in politics because of the way that you talk about it. To do that would not be to build up, it would tear down. These are the sorts of things that Paul is talking about, the the need to love and to have discernment about everyday matters of life together. And so, friends, let us enjoy our freedom in Christ, but let us use our freedom not to puff ourselves up and to make us free to do whatever we want to do, but rather to earnestly and boldly and courageously love those around us. Why? So that God might be glorified even as other people see our hope and our confidence and our peace and our love from the gospel and accepted in their own lives that they too may be saved. And that brings us to our third point, our third calling, Redeemer Fellowship, let's glorify God together. Time is flying by, isn't it? Celebrating our four-year anniversary, we're all getting older, our kids are growing up, some of us are, are looking ahead to retirement. What are our lives but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes? 
But God does not want us to be anxious about the brevity of life. No, he wants us, he wants to give us focus for how we live the short days that we have. And friends, we find that focus here. Look at verse 31. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Oh, church, there's a laser sharp focus for us there. What do we do? How do we live? What do we pursue? We pursue the glory of God together. And how do we do that? We do it by enjoying our freedom in Christ and by loving our neighbor. Paul Paul, Paul says, do whatever you do for the glory of God. And then he says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. He says, be imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. There's so much freedom in this passage, and there is so much love in this passage, isn't there? We're not under law, but under grace, but yet we are called to enjoy that freedom for the glory of God. And that happens not by seeking our own advantage, but that of the many. Why? That they may be saved. That they may be saved in your workplace. That they might be saved on campus. That they may be saved in our neighborhoods. Paul says, imitate me even as I imitate Christ. Paul's entire life is being lived as a reflection of Jesus himself. Jesus who was free, but Jesus who took on flesh and blood, who bound himself to humanity so that many might be saved. Oh, Redeemer Fellowship, let's imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. As we look to our fifth year together and beyond, may we know that we are called, who we are called to be and what we are called to be to live not for ourselves, to live not for ourselves and and leading ourselves towards bondage. If we live our life and if we lead our families to care first for ourselves rather than for others, then we will come to the end of our short lives and be sorely disappointed. But if we celebrate the freedom that we have in Jesus, we will never grow tired of speaking of his grace, his mercy, his love for us. And as we enjoy our gospel liberty, it will fuel our love for other people. And in our love for others, we will find true freedom and joy. Do you want laser sharp focus for your life? Christians, celebrate who Christ is and what he has done for you and then imitate him by laying your life down for others. Husbands and fathers, do you you not know what to do as a husband and father, how to lead your family? Do you not know how to care for those around you in the home? Look to Jesus and imitate his selfless love. Are Are you physically free to do whatever you want in the home? Sure, you have freedom to be a bully in the home, but that is not true freedom. Freedom is being so aware of your identity in Christ that you now lay your life down for your family, even as Christ has laid down his life for you. College students. Are you free to ignore that awkward person in the hall that you don't really like very much, never talking to them because they make you feel awkward? No, sure, you're free not to talk to them. No one is forcing you to talk to anyone. You can live however you want to live, but that's not true freedom. Freedom is found in finding your identity in Christ and using that joyful identity to extend yourself towards others. Christian, when you're at work, are you free to do work like everyone else does work? free to do the bare minimum, free to waste company time, sure, but, but that's not true freedom. Freedom is found in, in living not for your own good or your own comfort, comfort, but for those around you. 
Christian, are you free to come to church only once or twice a month? Or is it okay to never go to fellowship groups? Sure, you are. There's no law that says that you have to go. But, but we are about to enter into a glorious part of 1 Corinthians that ex- says that our experience of freedom in Christ, true happiness comes not from living individually, but being an intricate part of the body together. When you prioritize the body of Christ, when you exercise your freedom by loving fellow members of your church, your soul will be happy. Redeemer Fellowship, can, can you believe believe that we have the opportunity to glorify God through our lives in our weakness and in our selflessness or selfishness and sinfulness we have the ability to glorify our great God we have the opportunity to live in a countercultural way that lays down what others to be- believe to be our freedoms and our rights we lay them down in order to experience the true freedom that only God can give because of the freedom that we have been given, Redeemer Fellowship, may we delight in Christ together, celebrating our liberty with him week after week after week. Because of the freedom that we have in Jesus and our liberty in him, may we love one another, not being puffed up, but building others up. Because of the freedom that we have in Jesus, may we proclaim the gospel, resolving to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that our faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And may we serve our community, becoming, as Paul says, all things to all people, being willing to cross cultural lines, exercising discernment and wisdom and love in order that many may be saved. Knowing Jesus leads us to enjoy our liberty, to love our neighbor, and to glorify our God together. As we imitate Christ, he will be glorified because more people will come to know and experience the freedom from bondage that is found in him and in him alone. May we do this for the glory of our great God.